I remember watching a football game. Um, and as you do, especially if you support Man United, which I do, uh, you'll be found screaming at the TV because they're just not doing everything they're supposed to do. And so I was, I was doing this, right? I was screaming at the TV, and then I heard this voice. I can't remember if it was my wife or the Holy Spirit. Um, sometimes it's difficult to tell the difference. Um, and the voice said, you know they can't hear you. <laughs> like, okay, fair enough. Well, number one, they, they literally couldn't hear me. Uh, and number two, even if they could hear me, there'd be absolutely no reason for them to listen to me. <laughs> Because I'm not on the field. I'm not there in the stadium. And you know, the problem a lot of Christians face is that I think we've treated our salvation as just, number one, our means for righting the wrongs of our past. uh, Or number two, uh, a set of moral boundaries that keep us in check, living as upright, um, upstanding citizens in the world. uh, Or also as our ticket into heaven in the future. And our, our Christian faith is just that. But what that often leads to is scores of Christians shouting from the sidelines and telling the ones on the pitch how it needs to be done. Not realizing that all the while, if you profess that Jesus is Lord, then you are standing on the pitch too. You're on the team. Turn to someone next to you and say, I'm on the team. Turn to someone else and say, you're on the team. A guy called Joseph Stowell said this, If Christianity is dull and boring, if it is a burden and not a blessing, then most likely we're involved in a project, not a person, a system, not a saviour, rules rather than a relationship. And maybe you can identify with that, um, the feeling of there must be more to it than this. There must be more than just coming on a Sunday. And I want to tell you today, there is more than just coming on a Sunday. And the mission, should you choose to accept it, is before you. The life of the Christian is to be an exciting one. If you're writing notes, the title of this message is Mission Possible. Mission Possible. Now, I used to hate it as a kid. I don't know if you ever experienced this. You'd be standing against the fence, and there would be two captains, and they had to pick the kind of the team they wanted uh, to be on their team, uh, pick the individuals. And if you know you know that feeling of when it gets to like the last three or the last two and you're still not picked. It's like, oh, please don't let me be the last one. But the relief that you feel when you were picked was just overwhelming. Whatever your experience was of that, I want you again to know today that Jesus says you're on his team. He's picked you first to be on his team. You were not picked to stand on the sidelines. You were not picked to to sit in the rafters. You were picked to play a vital and a pivotal role here on the earth in the mission of Jesus. And you are on his team. God's mission includes you and I. And what's the mission? Well, we read about it in Matthew 28, the great commission that we are to go into all the world, making disciples of all nations, of all people. In other words, a big scary word that I'm sure many of you shudder at when you hear, evangelism, the E word. (laughs) Now most of us, if we're honest, when we hear the word, uh, we die a silent death inside of us. You know, images are concurred up of either street preachers with megaphones or handing out tracts on the street and getting rejected or really awkward conversations with family members and co-workers that don't go exactly how you planned in your head. 
And so a lot of us have shelved the idea of relationship or, of, sorry, of evangelism or preaching the gospel, telling people about Jesus. And particularly in our day and age, we don't think it's appropriate to do that uh, because we don't want to come across judgy or preachy. But I believe and I know that there is a way, there are many ways in which we can join in with the mission of God in the words of Jesus, which is to seek and to save the lost. To seek and to save the lost. I'm, I'm sure most of us in this room, if not all of us, know people who don't know Jesus. And the mission of Jesus is to seek them and to find them. Well, you, you know them, so there's one part of that that's already been done. But let's land this in the Bible today. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and 38 is our passage we're going to look at and work through. I'll read it uh, from verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. When it comes to sharing the gospel, this text is foundational because it points to two of three things I want to talk about today. The third is found in chapter 9. But I want to talk about the motive, the means, and the method. The motive, the means, and the method of mission. So we'll begin with the motive. Let's talk about Jesus's motive, which we see in, in, in verse 36 of chapter 9. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, this isn't new for Jesus. Compassion is something that he's, he's good at. Throughout his time on earth, we see it time and again that through the Gospels, he was filled with compassion and he fed 5,000 people, or he was filled with compassion and he healed a blind man. Compassion was the cornerstone for everything that Jesus did. It was his motive. The Greek word for compassion is splangnizomahia. I thought you guys would um, appreciate my Greek this morning, so I brought it out. Splang nidzomahia, which means to have compassion. But what it means literally is to feel in the viscera, or in other words, the bowels, to feel it in your stomach, if you prefer. Uh, we usually speak of feelings with our hearts. She broke my heart. Um, <laughs> he broke my heart. Uh, but at times, our emotions... Hatred, disgust, even love and compassion make their way down into our gut. That's the Greek word, compassion. What is, your, what is our response when we look out at the crowds? When we look at those, those colleagues in the cubicle or the office opposite us? When we uh, catch a look with someone looking, opposite, sorry, looking upset on the train home? Or when we witness a group of boys hanging outside McDonald's late at night? Ask yourself, what is your response? What is the inward dialogue going on in your head? Is it one of compassion? The old hymn says this, Let me look on the crowd as my saviour did, till my eyes with tears grow dim. Let me view with pity the wandering sheep and love them for love of him. Throughout the New Testament, Christians are admonished to show compassion to those in need. So, What's the motive for our mission? Compassion. Compassion. Uh, the mission has to begin 
with compassion. Without compassion, we don't have Christianity. Without compassion, we do not have authentic Christian mission. But sometimes motives get out of whack. I remember when I was younger, growing up uh, in church, we did this thing where as a group uh, in youth, we, we were, I think we were given a tract or something, and we were told, go out in the week, this week, and go and tell somebody about Jesus. Hand them this tract, tell them about Jesus, and come back and tell us how that story um, went. Tell us what happened with that encounter. Well, let me tell you, that was one of the most horrible weeks I've ever experienced in my life. Knowing that that Tuesday was round the corner, it just kept coming quicker and quicker. And uh, you better have told someone about Jesus or you're going to look like such a flake in front of the rest of the group, right? So Tuesday comes, uh, and still I haven't found anybody to give this track to and tell about Jesus. So what I did was eventually I plucked up the courage to tell a random stranger on the bus. I figured I'll wait till they look like they're about to get off the bus. That way I could just hand them the track, say, Jesus loves you, and they'll get off the bus. And all would be well. I didn't have to have an, an awkward conversation. Um, so I, I saw them. They got up. They pressed the bell. And this was my moment. I was waiting. Waiting to pounce. Uh, it was at that very moment that the bus driver announced that this was the last stop. And so I had to, too, get off the bus with that person. And so we all got off the bus. They thanked me. I gave them the tract. And we went our separate ways. But at least I had my evangelism story to tell to the rest of the group. The problem is that wasn't the right motive. I wasn't motivated by compassion. I was motivated by how I looked in front of the rest of the group. Now, don't get me wrong. God may have used that encounter to meet that particular individual. But my reason for telling them was so that I would look good to other people. I would have a story to tell. But like Paul, who was compelled by the love of Christ to reach the world, let us never forget our motive for the mission, that before pushing us forward, undergirding the feet that bring the good news of the gospel, through preaching, teaching, healing, is compassion. That's our motive. That's where we begin. And now we look at the means. Let's look at verse 37 and verse 38. Then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know, the other day, just after dinner, uh, I was wiping my boys, my little boys, just, just turned two last week, actually. Um, I was wiping his table just to clear it up, and he wanted to help me. So he took the cloth from me, and he started to wipe along with me. It was, it was pretty cute. It, it, was, it was cute. Now, I could have, well, here's a question. Could I have cleaned the table without him? Of course. Would my cleaning have been more effective than his cleaning? 100%. <laughs> Did he really have an understanding about what he was doing? Maybe, but probably not entirely. But his joy and my joy was that we were doing it together. And when we get down to it, this is, very, this is the crux of what the mission of God is. It's what it looks like. Yes, he is the Lord of the harvest. He's the one who causes seeds and people to grow and to bear fruit. He's the one that saves people. He's the one that calls people from darkness into light. But yet his means are people, you and I, and prayer. We get to do this mission with God. He doesn't need us, but he does it. He fulfills this mission through you and I. In verse 37, or 38 rather, it says, Therefore, pray earnestly. 
Now, just a little Bible reading tip, if you don't already know this, but whenever you come across a therefore in Scripture, you want to ask the question, what is it therefore? If you see a therefore, what is it therefore? And this instance, in, in this instance, the answer is simple. You want to look before, why, why is it there? Well, the disciples were to pray earnestly because the laborers are few. They were to pray for more laborers, that the Lord would send them out into the harvest field. But what I find funny is that in the chapter following this verse, in the chapter after this chapter, the prayer is answered. And who does Jesus send out? The same people that are praying. He sends out the disciples. They were praying all along, Lord, send out laborers, send out laborers. And in verse chapter 10, he sends them out. Often we find ourselves praying for the harvest and praying for laborers. And all the while, we are the answer to that prayer. God has called you and I to be laborers in the harvest, to go out into the world and to share the good news of Jesus. And so, yes, pray. Prayer is a crucial part of this. Pray for yourself. Pray for but others, pray for God to send laborers. Uh, but then let's hear the answer, uh, the answer that we give to the call, which is to go into the world. Because the gospel was never intended to be good news to be kept to ourselves. Not good news just to keep to ourselves. If I have good news, I want to tell people about it. I want to share. If I've got news that I know, if I had the, the cure to, to some of the, the vilest diseases and I kept it to myself, you think I was evil. You think I was horrible. I, I ought to go and tell people about this cure to cancer or, or whatever. It's the same with the message that we carry, the gospel. It is the cure to the sickness of this world. Let's go out with passion and tell people about Jesus. You know, even though the Lord of the harvest has harvested, he is harvesting and he will continue to harvest, that doesn't mean that prayer and people aren't the means by which he harvests. One of the ways we'll see more laborers is if more of us who are doing the stuff teach other people, teach others how to share the gospel. Disciples of Jesus replicate themselves. Disciples make disciples. So if you're somebody who actually, you've got this, you're pretty good at this, then identify yourself maybe to Pastor Colin and the leaders. And say, hey, I, I've, I've got this. I want to teach other people how to share the gospel. That would be, that'd be really good because disciples replicate themselves. So the motive is compassion. The means are prayer and you and I, people. And let's get down to the method. Well, chapter 10 gives us a real breakdown into the hows of the mission. And you can look at that yourself. Um, and what the disciples should expect as they venture out, carrying the good news of the kingdom wherever they went. But I want to just focus in on 1 Peter 3, verse 15, as our verse here. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You know, this isn't a surprise, but people talk to people. And the message of the gospel primarily moves from person to person to person, to person. It's how it spreads, through life-on-life -life contact. I wonder what the R number of the gospel is in Harlow. I wonder. <laughs> but as we see in 1 Peter, this is, the near, this is near to the heart of God. This is something that he 
counts as valuable. And so the question remains, is evangelism possible in our modern culture? Well, we'll take a look at our invitation to share the hope that we have with others in ways that are normal, relational, and simple. And it's far from complete, but I hope it helps to move the needle forward uh, in your own life. So two ways in which you can join in the mission of God through conversation and through hospitality. This isn't complete, but it may be a couple of things that can help you. That we've all come to accept now that social media is a poor gauge of people's uh, emotional well-being and their happiness because people can post a picture that looks really nice and it looks like they've got it all together. All the while, there's lots of stuff going on in the background, lots of brokenness that they don't want people to hear or see, low-level anxiety, heartache uh, that we all experience because life is hard for all people. Regardless of your, your salary, life is hard for all people. But Christians, you and I have a message to offer this broken and hurting world. And First Peter unpacks for us how to approach evangelism in a modern culture with three focuses. The lordship of Christ, provocative hope, and gentleness and respect. John Tyson says that missional conversations do not start with tactics or strategies but with Christ ruling as Lord in our hearts. Does Christ rule as Lord in your heart? We know that the heart is the wellspring of life out of which flows everything else. And Peter recognizes this and starts his approach with lordship, as should we. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, because from that place, everything will flow out. And then a provocative hope. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You know, in the midst of our broken society, Christians have a chance to offer a provocative hope to the world. There is a certain amount of personal responsibility implied in this passage. On the one hand, there's a preparedness to explain the story behind your hope. It might just take 10 minutes, 15 minutes for you to just sit down And almost just plan out what you would say if somebody asked you, what does it mean to be a Christian? Why are you a Christian? Why not just prepare an answer, prepare a response? But also, uh, there's an implication that you are living a life that causes people to take notice and ask you about that hope. Leslie Newbigin is a British theologian, said, we must live in the kingdom of God in such a way that it provokes questions for which the gospel is the answer. How are we living? Do we live in that way? You know, we may have more opportunity for conversations that we think, and if you don't see opportunity yet, you surely will as you walk with people in relationship. You are the best person to reach them. And then lastly, I won't talk long on this because I know time is going, um, but to speak with people with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect is often overlooked in our society that highlights and prioritizes people who are loud, who are in your face, who've got it all together. But in First Peter, we see, actually, let's talk with, to people, especially as it relates to, to bringing the gospel with gentleness and respect. And lastly, uh, hospitality. Is it going to come back? Or? back. Yeah, it's back. Okay, cool. Lastly, hospitality. Uh, Henry Nowen he says this, our society, t- our society seems to be increasingly full of fearful, defensive, aggressive people 
anxiously clinging to their property and inclined to look at their surrounding world with suspicion, always expecting an enemy to suddenly appear, intrude and do harm. But still, that is our vocation, to convert the enemy into a guest and to create the free and fearless space where brotherhood and sisterhood can be formed and fully experienced. So what do we mean by hospitality? Well, inviting people to your home for a meal, if it's possible, taking someone out for a meal, if it's possible, or taking someone for a drink, being the one to pay for them, sit down over some refreshment and have a conversation. Because you and I were once the stranger and God showed hospitality to you. You were outside the narrative of the Bible and God welcomed you into that story. I want to close with this. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield says this in her book, um, Radically Radically Ordinary Hospitality. Those who live it see strangers as neighbors and neighbors as a family of God. They recoil at reducing a person to a category or a label. They see God's image reflected in the eyes of every human being on earth. They take their own sin seriously, including the sin of selfishness and pride. They know they are like meth addicts and sex trade workers. They take God's holiness and goodness seriously. They use the Bible as a lifeline with no exceptions. Those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs at all, but as God's gift to use for the furtherance of his kingdom. They open doors. They seek out the underprivileged. They know that the gospel comes with a house key. The gospel comes with a house key. So in closing, are we people who would say yes to the mission of God? That includes the right motive, of compassion, the means, prayer, praying for the the harvest and praying for the laborers. People, you and I, who would say yes to the mission. And then the method. There are so many methods, but we've looked at today just simple conversation, being able to answer for the hope that we have, preparing something maybe in advance, looking for opportunities to invite people to your home or to invite them out for a coffee, being hospitable, Be in the hands and feet of Jesus. John 20, verse 21. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And I wonder if our prayer today, as we close here, would be Isaiah, verse 6 and 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Let's pray. Lord God, I recognize in that passage uh, in John that you sent your spirit to empower the disciples for the mission that lie ahead. And God, I'm praying today for Lighthouse Church, Lord. Would you send your spirit afresh? Would you fill the congregation afresh with your spirit? Not so that we could have a good time, not so that we could have a a, a tingly feeling or or weep and all of that stuff is, is legitimate, 
but so that we would be empowered to go out with the gospel message wherever we find ourselves and bring the hope that you've given us. God, today I pray, Lord, in the quietness of this moment, that you would give us the strength to say, just as Isaiah did, here am I, send me. As we just now begin to think about the people who are close to us, think about the family members, the the neighbours, the people in that club that we're a part of, the people in that uh, coffee shop that we often visit, our colleagues, our friends at college or university. May we look upon them with the compassion that you do, Jesus. Here am I. Send me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.